All right, guys. Thanks for joining the podcast. This week's sponsor is TCG Player. TCG Player has now uh, started an affiliate program with This Week in MTG. So if you want to support this awesome, your favorite podcast, if you will, please go to www.thisweekinmtg. Go to the bottom of our page and click TCG Card Search. TCG is a fantastic site to buy cards at a very reasonable price. In fact, I go with the cheapest price. It's where I bought my cards for many years and sold cards. Give it a go. Use that link to support the site. And this week's charity is magickids.org. That's M-A-G-I-Kids.org. Magic Kids is a fantastic charity trying to use people's donations to use it for communities that are underprivileged, um, give teaching materials, to certain areas and home, uh, schools. I actually saw a post on there for homeschoolers using this as a um, aggregate uh, method of teaching a group of kids in their area. You can donate your money, donate your cards, and sending the cards directly to their address. Or you can become a volunteer yourself to teach new players magic. So magickids.org. Let's get to the show. Welcome. Welcome. To this week in MTG with your host, Rob Zolson. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week in MTG. We're going to dive into some fun topics today. I have a special guest with me. A few special guests with me, actually. I have Trent. He is uh, taking Fleece's spot for the moment until yeah. we find. Uh, by the way, send in applications to our uh, to our website oh, thisweekinmtg.com. Uh, whoa, hang on a second. Never mind. Yeah, go ahead and do it. Yeah, send in applications. <laughs> so I have Trent. Welcome, Trent. Yeah. I have uh, another local player, Wiley. He's going to help us with some budget deck tech today. How's everybody doing? And our, you know, VIP guest. We have Richard Early. He is the owner of Paradox Comics and Cards in Fargo, North Dakota, one of the longest-running Magic the Gathering stores uh, probably anywhere, and definitely the largest one in North Dakota. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? So we're going to dive in again. This podcast is the aggregate source for news for your weekly MTG Byte. So we're going to do that first, and then we'll get uh, deep dive into the interview. So to jump into things, we're going to start by talking about finance that we do every week because I'm a greedy player that wants to know what his cards are worth. So again, morph cards still going up crazy. They have not stopped, and it's, some are starting to stabilize, the ones that are printed a lot, uh, most often. But now we're seeing the obscure commander-only prints going up. Um, Ducent Sirens, um, it's a 3-drop, 1-3 creature. Pay one, tap it, target creature um, attacks, target opponent this turn if able, and it has a morph of one. So it's just these very niche morph pieces are the ones we're seeing going up. The rest have more or less stabilized. Um, we're seeing some non-traditional spikes for commander cards, because again, this is the commander season. People are buying those boxes. They're looking for upgrades. And they had a video from the professor for those that don't know, Tulare, uh, excuse me, Tularian, uh, Tularian Community College is a fantastic YouTube channel that has um, the professors, he calls himself, fitting into magic lore, does a lot of content on YouTube of buying different kits, um, deck builds. He's a fantastic resource. I'd say one of the best content creators for Magic the Gathering resources. And he made a video this last week the top five best new Magic the Gathering com uh, Commander cards of 2019. 
And he was rating Sudden Substitution as one of the best cards on his list. Sudden Substitution is a four-drop instant. It's a blue card. And it has Split Second. Split Second is an older ability that it cannot be countered. It doesn't actually go on the stack. It just resolves instantly. So there's nothing you can do about it. And exchange control of target non-creature spell and target creature. Then the spell's controller may choose new targets. So you're just swapping a creature for a spell. It's really a strong counteraction card that people aren't expecting. And it just really got sensationalized from his list and had a 860% spike. So now it's an almost a $20 card from being you know that bulk rare. And we're going to go into the ban lists uh, later. Last week we were talking about how Hogax basically guaranteed to get banned, and sure enough he did, but we'll get into details with that. Stone Forge Mystic was the one that some people were trying to predict. I mean, everybody's saying that, you know, unban Splinter Twin, unban Stone Forge Mystic, but we, they finally got to unbanning Stone Forge Mystic. And, of course, that got a hefty spike because of it, so now it's a $70 card again. People are picking up copies, and when we talk about modern, I really want to go into how this is going to be used. Right now, we still haven't seen that one deck list. That's, you could say, the net deck using a modern for this card, and i just like to give some speculation to that. But, of course, that one's spiking. But other, I don't know, interesting winners are Renin 6, the two-drop red and green Planeswalker from the new Modern Horizons set. I didn't personally think it would be this hyped. I know it was going to be used. A two-drop Planeswalker of any kind as long as it's not Tybalt, will be utilized. It has a decent feature of retrieving lands from the graveyard back to your hand, so you can definitely cycle a lot of those sacrifice land abilities. And it does do ping damage, so one damage to any target, so you can kill those 1-1 creatures or bring someone down. But I didn't know it was going to go this much. It is a $100 card as of this week. That's... Which honestly makes sense. Um, from the legacy standpoint, Renin 6 utilizes uh, Wasteland, and, um, yeah, you can really put some hurt on someone's mana base by wastelanding their land and bringing yours back with Ren and Six. That's that's it. It's used. It's not just in modern, because you can't base a card's price off of just one format. As though many people still don't play a lot of uh, Legacy and Vintage, if it's still used, it will still sensationalize the price. So that's what we're seeing. It's Legacy, Vintage, and Modern all used across the board as a staple in each each set. That, and of course, it's a Jund card, so we have to have it expensive to make sure that Jund always stays two grand or higher. <laughs> the Rolls-Royce of decks. Also, another uh, you know consistent spike. It's not a huge spike, but we're still seeing Scalding Tarns over $100. And what people think is surprising is that the Scalding Tarn version of M17 printing is the most expensive one. You figure the original print from Zendikar would be the most expensive, but what people are missing is... The M17 version offers the foil stamp at the bottom of every rare, so they don't have to question authenticity. They don't have to buy from a troll and toad and wonder, did I get faked? Well, it's really hard to fake those stamps, so that's the one that people want to invest in. They want to know that there's their card is a real card if they go to untrustworthy sources. That's why utilizing your local magic store or you know a trustworthy source that you know to purchase on, <laughs> cough, cough, plug, TCG player, um... Really uh, back your cards or check for those uh, stamp symbols on the bottom. They're a silver, shimmery foil. They'll have the magic logo in them. So for those that are trying to invest, look out for those to to help you for the integrity of your card. And then Jace the Mind Sculptor has not gone down. Hurts my brain. Control players are still using Teferi. 
So I figured Teferi would replace the J spot. It more or less has, but people are playing them together, and it has not brought down the hype of this card at all. It's been printed now in World Wake originally. It's been Internal Masters and the new um, 25-year anniversary set. So it's got a lot of printings, and it's still $140 for a copy. Hurts my brain. So not just talking about price spikes, but I like to talk about some lower-cost cards, the stuff that you pick up, you know, go out, grab these cards. The I talked about this last week. The first liver went even lower, and it looks like it's finally bottomed out. It is that, you know, $10, $11 card. That's because all these sliver players are doing Commander, got their copies, and we're not seeing it resonate into a net um, modern deck for, for slivers. I know, Wiley, you're a sliver player. You had to have your copies for it. But again, it's not that hyper-competitive format. It's definitely that, not kitchen table magic, but it's going to be a... Not... No, but it, it's very important to keep in mind that cards like Sliver Overlord um, have gone up and up and up. And this is one of those cards that will it will do it eventually once the printing is done, uh, and it's had time to sit and move around in people's collections. And that's why it's really on our list. I mean, it, it finally bottomed out. It's only going to go up from here. You know, people are still cracking boxes of Modern Horizons, but it's lower and lower now. People are sitting in the boxes that have them. I know, uh, Rich, you're a store owner. Do you have uh, Modern Horizons left in store? Oh, I do, actually. Um, Modern Horizons has been really weird because while you've had all the price spiking on single cards, there hasn't been a single one of the uh, five Magic distributors who hasn't had boxes in stock still. So if you notice, box prices are really flat uh, and not collectible yet while the singles have been. Singles match the box rates. So that would that would make sense if we're seeing these cards uh, bottom out. So. Definitely uh, check out, pick up your copy. Uh, Carnage Tyrant, which is out of Ixalan. It's a 6-drop, 7-6 creature that can't be countered with Trample and Hexproof. That was definitely the standard Juggernaut for a long time. It's it's creeping uh, creeping up now. It finally bottomed out. But it's setting at that $7 mark because, again, they're rotating out in a month. So people are trying to drop their cards. But this will be used outside of standard. It may not see a lot of modern play, but it will always be that mythic commander purchase. If you're looking for that creature that can't be countered, trample, and hexproof on a stick, any of those big cards that have a decent CMC value will find value later. It's great in Dinosaur EDH. Yes. (laughs) We see a lot of those players still. Temporal Manipulation is the last one I have on the list. It was, again, reprinted. Um, recently, and we're finally seeing that it's just now bottomed out. There's a low volume out. It was printed in originally in Portal, and we're even seeing the Portal um, version of it drop in price. So they're finally now f- uh, around $46, $47. So this is the time that if you're taking a turns deck and you need those uh, extra turn cards, this is as cheap as it's going to get. They're not going to be reprinting it anytime soon because they just reprinted it. So that really does it for the market at the moment besides you know i like to pick out a couple ex- obscure pieces and these actually happened within i think the last 24 hours of the the price spikes so we're seeing a couple cards like world gorger dragon it's a six drop play it it's a seven seven dragon with flying exile all of your permanents and then when world gorger dragon leaves 
you get to put them all back into play. So it's essentially this return effect to protect your stuff. There's not a way, a lot of ways to play at instant speed, but for Commander, it'll always be one of those unique, janky cards people will want to play. So we're seeing a small spike in that. And then for all your Commander players, because this is the overhyped sensational season for Commander products, Wood Elves went up a lot. Any copy of the common Wood Elves cards is like 3 bucks. Just like we're seeing all of the um, Mana Rocks for Commander go up, this is the latest spike in the you know land fetch dorks so bandings happened i had a bet with one of the players uh in uh our community here shout out to logan and uh he's i told him hogak's gonna be banned guaranteed tomorrow he's like oh how could you know that well I, apparently he doesn't go online he's everybody knew that easy. it was coming easy. tcg predicted it with their price sales and sure enough hogak got banned he's dead but we had a, quite the ban list. We couldn't. Hogak was predictable, but who expected faceless looting? I mean, we saw yeah. it coming with a lot of the dredge, you know, Isaac Phoenix stuff out there. But I personally didn't think it was coming. I didn't think it was that powerful. But the graveyard synergy stuff and the amount of forcible sideboard, I guess, really did push it out of the format. So I've had a lot of uh, people ask me, you know, what do you use in replacement? There's burning inquiry. It's a one drop, draw three, dump three at random. They're still doing data. I just saw some posts today on Reddit, and they're showing that it's still worthwhile of playing a Burning Inquiry. It's definitely not as consistent as it was, but it's definitely worth playing. It showing adds a lot of the dredge variants, which it, is kind of nice, actually. Right. It makes makes it fun. That's the whole idea of why people love the Howl, uh, Howling One decks, is they had play Burning Inquiry, play those uh, uh, Howling. Is it a hollow, hollow one? Hollow ones. There you go. Hollow like, ones. Halloween. What are you talking about? Howling one. The, the hollow one. So you play Burning Inquiry, dump three cards, and then you get to play all the, your own um, hollow ones for free. So you have up to three, four, it, depending on if you had the perfect draw. And it's all at random, and you get these four fours right away and turn one for, for free. So it, it just makes uh, makes it more fair, balanced with random. There's still, I don't think it'll work for Is It anymore using Burning Inquiry, but we'll find out. Dredge, there's just too many pieces that are valuable in the graveyard. Of course, Burning Inquiry is going to work. So if you have copies of that card, be well aware. Stormforge Mystic was unbanned. Uh, no? No. Figure you're no. a white player. What? No. 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 Well, you don't want to see. Uh, Welcome back, Batter Skull. <laughs> I, I was going to say, you don't want to see Batter Skull in the meta anymore. So, just to dive into that a little bit, I'm going to skip uh, the topic and go right uh, to modern. There still hasn't been a Stormforge Mystic deck that's come out as the quote unquote top deck. So, they're still trying to see where it fits because it was used a long time ago. Modern has changed since then. My personal prediction is two different types of decks. They're going to have. The Azoria Stoneblade, it's going to be that control into the Stoneforge Mystic combo. It'll have the uh, Jace, um, Jace Mind Sculptor just to find the pieces you're looking for. It'll have the te uh, Teferi Hero Dominaria so you can untap the lands and then pay the two costs for the Stoneforge Mystic. And it has all of the Path to Exiles and counter spells you want to protect your combo. I feel like that's going to be the combo to use if you're going to use a Stoneforge Mystic. But everybody plays Death and Taxes. That's still a black-white control combo. Such a fun card. Anything they can do to try to ramp and protect that combo that they can find a piece for. And for those that don't know, Red and Swordforge Mystic, you pay to tap it, tutor for a, an equipment to put it in your hand. So people are going for either Batter Skull, 
which gives lifelink. It's a living weapon. It's a gross card. Or they're doing it for the um, traditional swords like Sword of Feast and Famine, which gives your creature, you know, pro of two colors and a cool ability. What about Colossus Hammer? That's still the budget deck, and that'd be, that'd be interesting to see because you're not allowed to equip it, so you still have to have a card to force equip it because the equip cost, I think, is eight yes. on Colossus Hammer. Yes, the guard is eight. Yeah, that. So that's still going to be the budget version. I don't think it'll be a part of Stoneforge Mystic. But we'll see what comes out of the ashes. That's that's my general prediction. It's either A or B. But who am I to guess? It may be Boros, and they'll do some like weird modern feather combo just because they can. <laughs> so the other band's announcements are in standard. They are bringing back the um, dinosaur that allows you to stop other people from gaining life. Rampaging Ferocidon. In they should have done this a while ago when they have Bantscape shift out and all these other like uh you know lifelink decks that just ramp up the health honestly i'm going to blame arena best of one <laughs> yeah if they had best because of 3 it would have been that's different where the ferocidon would really be an issue is uh red red deck wins runs a little rampant in that best of one and uh if it's not there your arena players are pretty satisfied it's only going to be around for a month. It's an Ixalan card. They're just banning it to good gesture to open up more cards to make people feel great about the Hogak ban. They need good posi- uh, positive news whenever they do negative news. It's PR 101. But also the Vintage, or is it Vintage or Legacy? I'll have to pull it up. They did some other restrictions and then unrestricted Fast Bond. Fast Bond's a one-drop enchantment that you can play as many lands as you want from your hand. But for everyone past the first, you take one damage. Well, who cares if you can get seven, eight mana on turn one with all these double mana cards and just tap away and go off with your combo. The only hope you're going to have is using like a Force of Will. But uh, yeah, they unrestricted that and restricted all of the other cards like um, Karn the Silver, not Silver Golem, the new uh, Karn Planeswalker that allows you to search from exile. Great creator. There you go. The others, one moment were Mental Misstep, which we saw coming uh, a while ago. That uses one Phyrexian blue mana to counter a uh, target spell that costs one. It was used to you know, stop a lot of the turn, t- uh, turn one um, hate and small combo. Um, they did restrict Golgari Grave Troll, which is used for the Legacy Dredge. And they also did a one from M20, which surprised me, but I guess I can see it, is Mystic Forge. Mystic Forge is a four-drop artifact. Anytime, you may look at the top card of your library anytime, cast the top card of your library, if it's a non-artifact card or colorless non-land card. You tap it, pay one, exile the top card, so it allows you just to filter and draw through your whole deck as long as it's all artifacts. So if you're using Mycosynth Lattice and the Karn combo, you can just play your whole deck if you have mana for it. So I can see where having it down to one copy in uh, Vintage makes sense. I certainly added that to my commander deck. I have a colorless commander deck. I use Karn Silver Gold myself, and that was definitely the ramp card to put in. It was uh, quite nice. It, that Mystic Forge resembles a green card that allows you to do the same thing but for creatures. So it's a, it's a known format, and just having them put for our keyword artifact shows that it had some, some real power. So... Now that we're getting out of the modern conversation, we'll get back into it for budget in just a moment, but I always want to focus on standard for a minute. So we just talked about how Rampaging Frostodon, for the next month, will at least try to give a way to stop this healing. 
the bigger healing that I'm seeing besides the Bantscape Shift and the Vampire decks is Boros Feather. We've seen Boros Feather in our small play groups, and it's been winning consistently. Um, Boros Feather is based off the card Feather that was just uh, printed recently and combos off all of the red and white buffs onto it to double its effect. It's seeing a lot of uh, play, and most of the cards in it are um, going to go past go past the standard ban list that we're going to see rotation out of. So if you're going to pick one to invest in that isn't something budget, that's going to last a bit longer for the two years, I'd really consider looking to Boros Feather. Feather's not going away for a while. And there's, right now, as unless there's something printed in the new throne, we're not going to see anything involve stopping life gain when that rotates out. So, Wiley, I brought you here because I've been looking for a budget deck, and I had one in mind, basically because I played it against you, and you've consistently hosed me with this budget deck. So I'm like, let's start online, let's see what we can find. I spent a couple of solid hours looking for this deck. I cannot find your version of the deck. So, the deck is based off of, it's a liquid metal coating green deck, it's like a green control deck, and... On MTG Goldfish, which I've talked about before, mtggoldfish.com is a fantastic way to find the net decks out there. What is the meta? They'll use the win rate percentages, not just people's bias input on what's the best deck. And Saffron Olive made a um, budget deck based on liquid metal coating, which is a two-drop artifact. You tap it, target permanent becomes an artifact in addition to its other types until end of turn. So the idea is tap liquid metal coating, turn a land into an artifact, and then destroy the land. It's like a really backwards mean Ponza. So he made it on his build with the traditional, you know, Reclamation Sages, Verdian Shamans, which when they enter, destroy target artifact. But it's missing this core card. So, Wiley, can you give us a you know, little overview of why your deck is better? So this deck runs a card called Splinter. Splinter is a four drop, two green, two colorless, it's a sorcery that reads, remove target artifact from the game. Search its controller's li- graveyard, hand, and library for all copies of that card and remove them from the game. That player then shuffles his or her library. So you are tapping your liquid metal coating to coat one of their lands, preferably a basic, and then you hit it with splinter. And now they lose most of their deck. Uh, in in one go. Certainly most of their lands. Right. And especially when they're playing, say, a monocolored deck, they're using a lot of basics. So you've wiped the majority, if not all, of their lands in that shot. So there's pros and cons to this. Having a artifact destruction effect with the um, surgical extraction effect is broken in my mind, but it is four cost. But let's say it's late game. They already have a bunch of lands out. You have tried to peel their lands away, but now you're going to thin their deck. Maybe not the best time to play it. Best time to play is ramp into it, play it as soon as you can, maybe that turn three, and empty their deck of lands so they can't get their combo off. Yeah, if you're starting to run late game, ideally you're looking to surgically extract, if you will, key pieces that they already have on the board. Um, If you're able to pull the combo off, my deck runs Trepanation Blade. I've caught grief for this one because it's basically making for mono green mill. But Trepanation Blade enables you, when whenever the equipped creature attacks, defending player reveals cards from the top of his or her library until they reveal a land. 
Your creature gets plus one, plus zero until the end of turn for each card revealed in that way. So you essentially mill them for a bunch, and if you've got that Viridian Corruptor in play, Viridian Corruptor, uh, just for reference for folks, it's a three-drop, two-two with Infect. Um, as the extra bonus when it comes in to play, destroy an artifact. So you can you can do a lot of work with it, and you're uh, shooting for Infect. So this Trepidation Blade, it's been reprinted just recently, and it's an uncommon. It's a it's not even a bulk rare status. I think it's a quarter the last time I checked, because right. I still have like seven copies on my own just sitting in my drawer. This deck is extremely affordable. Splinter was printed originally in Urza's Destiny, it's not really a big known card, and obscurely reprinted in a Kamigawa set. So it's modern legal. Both of those cards we mentioned are a quarter. This whole deck is well under $70, just to print the budget version. You can add and make this a little bit more disgusting and you know net this out a little more. Put Karn into it. Put Mycosin's Lattice into it. You know, Stop them from tapping any lands entirely. So it can be used as that monocolor you know, control deck. Yeah, assuming you need something for your modern games that you're going to at your local game store, um, this deck will cost you thirty, maybe forty dollars if you're not going for anything high expense. Uh, it's it's just a lot of fun to slap together and then throw something that your opponents aren't going to expect. If you guys are wondering, the price is actually about twenty five to twenty nine cents. Gotcha. Just for average, foils about fifty. And the list you'll see on MTG Goldfish, the only reason it's so much more is because it has a couple different copies of Relic of Progenitus, which is alone, you know, five bucks a piece. So there's a couple different cards that you may or may not want in there. I always think that uh, you main run board... run Needle in your sideboard, oh, so that's going to run up the cost. Um, you know, having three copies of Relic of Progenitus, two, two main board makes sense, especially in a graveyard meta. So definitely be aware of what, what you're grabbing, but still, pennies for a magic deck, especially modern. Well, thanks for that dive. Now, for the other news, what festivals do we have out coming next? I always like to alert people what's going on. Well, yeah. Well, this month, September, uh, the 6th through the 8th, Magic Fest Indianapolis. Uh, then you have the 13th through the 15th, it's Magic Fest Ghent. Ghent, I think it's how it's said. G-H-E-N-T, Ghent. And then the 20th through the 22nd, Magic Fest Atlanta. So, Rich, you have to help us out. When are we going to get Magic Fest Fargo? Oh, uh, <clears throat> um, I can't tell you. Oh, oh, oh man. Making, making me sweat. Well, you didn't hear it here first, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so diving in. I, I'm just going to go into a little bit of a rant. We had a bit of news come on uh, across uh, Twitter. Amaze, he's normally a known for a Hearthstone player on YouTube. He's real popular. He got into Arena as soon as Arena came out, because that's what a lot of Hearthstone players did, is they transitioned over to our better game, Cough Cough. And Amaze went to um, a showing in GP Vegas, and it's a bit of a controversy online. What actually happened is the facts are he tried to go around in different paths and queues and go beside judges when they told him he can't go back into this area. He was probably just cutting through, getting to a different area, but he even bumped into a judge. The judge stopped him, judge didn't like his attitude, and the judge disqualified him from the from the Grand Prix. Well, now it's called Magic Fest. But, you know, 
in this situation, I don't like to you know pick sides, but know that if you're at a Grand Prix, they have it's it's not hard to take a moment and see where they want the public and where they want people out. They put up signs, they have people there. He clearly made an issue out of it, and you know I'm not saying that his intentions were bad, but it's common sense that you have to respect boundaries of the event. They have more than accommodating for players meeting. Um, meeting guests, meeting the audience. Um, they're just trying to make sure that it's fit enough for all public and private access as well. Take your time, read the signs, and uh, yeah, don't be amazed. So this week we have on Mark Rosewater's blog. He confirmed that there will be no double face cards in the Throne of Eldraine whatsoever. So I think this is the the first set since Origins, if I can do my homework correctly, that has not had a double face card. And when I say double face, like a flip card. And he unaccidentally leaked the name of my favorite card, uh, new card, Ginger Brute. It was the one that we got leaked artwork of the Gingerbread Man. So uh, Diabetes the card finally has a name. So the Throne of Eldraine spoilers won't technically start until I believe the first week of October. Don't quote me on that. I don't remember the date, but I know that there's going to be a private showing, and every time we have these private showings, we do have minimal leaks. So we'll have some information of uh, what's coming on Throne of Eldraine. But they did officially leak to Forbes magazine, the latest Planeswalker, Oko. It's literally O-K-O. It's a, technically, uh, we're guessing from the artwork, three-color Planeswalker. It's a face shapeshifter. So fingers crossed this Planeswalker should have some sort of copy or mirror effect. I, I think they do that with their first shape-shifting Planeswalker. Create like, like, like minus whatever, plus whatever, and create like a 1-1 one, one shapeshifter changeling thing. Right. So it has on the artwork, uh, why we say it's three colors, it looks like bramble thorns coming out of its hand in these like neon colors of green, red, and blue. So we'll see what happens. They kind of gave a real no spoilers besides a quick, uh, quick clip of the art, the name, and then they gave kind of like this interview persona telling of, you know, what its attitude was. Apparently it's kind of a cocky asshole attitude for a planeswalker. So didn't give us much, but it gave us breadcrumbs. So Wizards of the Coast decided that they're going to sell again for the second time the San Diego Comic-Con, the SDCC exclusive um, set that we get. So why is it exclusive? If they're going to say it's exclusive, it's a one-time run. Nope, they're going to do it twice because they had too many prints. I'm just... It, investors have to be mad. If they made promises of something saying it's exclusive, you can only get it now and here, and now they're just doing it again. Um, I get they got to be sold. This time as well. You know, I get they got to be sold. Maybe they can do it through vendors. Maybe they can take those extra copies and push them to game stores. You know, don't don't take those you know exclusively sold here online now copies and repush them again. It, it pisses people off. But already the first comments on these posts are great. Glad to see it. I need my M twenty foil sheet. <laughs> yeah. So uh, customer service is uh, already ramping on that one. So Magic the Gathering Arena is going to have their first rotation out of standard. And when they do so, they're going to have what they're calling right now their historic format. It's essentially from Ixalan on. So all the cards that are going to rotate out, just like a Hearthstone, just like any other format, are going to go into this like evergreen pile of like a wild. 
So they're calling it historic. It'll be a, a the new format. So we'll have you know legacy, vintage, modern, and then they'll have historic and then standard. That's literally the Magic's new history. So what they're going to do when these cards rotate out, they said they're going to add cards from Magic's historic's past to the format to hype up all these old cards to still bring value to people's cards. So they're suggesting 15 to 20 extra new cards pulled in from Magic's past, adding to that format called um, Historic. People are complaining, and I don't understand why at all. Does anybody have any input on this one? I mean, adding cards to a format? I, I think that it's more um, that they just are giving this loose idea that we're going to get some big cards. Oh, here's some things that'll make you excited. But as far as formats go and things you don't want to see added, we, we don't suddenly want to have fetches all over the place when fetches are something we're not trying to have in the historic format. Um, so in that argument, I would have to wait and see what they bring in before I have to like you know throw out judgments like, hey, why would you do that? You're putting fetches back in now; they're three hundred dollars. Well, a copy. and there might be some people that disagree with me saying that fetches. Oh, I agree with be you. Part of the the format. I don't think there's a lot. The majority of people knowing that Scalding Tarn's over a hundred dollars a copy for the reprint copy, knowing that that price is out there, would hate to see you know that overhyped. But I don't know. I just until I see the cards, I can't complain. I just see that right. them bringing other cards in might help balance out the historic format. They can't reprint a core set unless it's in standard to fix it, and that's just going to fix standard. It's going to make more issues. So they have to bring cards in to balance out the format, and I think that's what they're doing. They're going to pick pieces to answer some of those, you know, rampaging, <laughs> rampaging Rosadon, yay, <laughs> questions. But we'll see. I, I'm not going to complain. I don't understand the the negativity, but to each his own. Well. That does it for the aggregate news section. So let's start in with this interview. Rich, I've been uh, we've been prepping now for a couple weeks to get you on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you were out with your family today, so enough can't be said about uh, you taking some time and cutting out and talking to our viewers. Oh, no problem. I love talking. Perfect. Well, you're <laughs> you're in the perfect spot, my friend. You're in the right place. So I just want to get this uh, as a perspective and give a little uh, history of you know what you do and who you are. So you have been open now for Paradox for how many years total? Well, you know, you said earlier that we have to be one of the oldest magic stores in the country. And that's basically true because we started carrying magic uh, in 1993, which is when the game came out. So we always say uh, when we celebrate our anniversary, you know, we're on our 26th anniversary as is magic. So we always tie those things together for sure. So, so did you actually have alpha packs in the store? I, I didn't. I actually, when I, I had just opened my comic book store and we were going to be comic books and non sports cards. If you remember when we were all insane, depending on how old you are, you may not remember this, but we used to, uh, you know, what, what dominated for a while were, uh, packs of cards that were like pictures from movies or tv shows or cartoons or art or you know any number of things like that and that my business partner and i got into and that was his thing and i was the comic guy so we actually were very resistant oh we you know we don't want to carry sports cards we don't want to carry games <laughs> you know things like that so but i had a very short time partner who she wanted to get half of a box of arabian nights 
And, you know, we didn't have 20 bucks between us, barely, to keep our store going. So we weren't going to order a box of cards that someone was going to buy half a box of. <laughs> right. And uh, But we did uh, because we're softies and didn't want to say no, so we <laughs> did it. And then, like, word got around that we had this half a box of Arabian Nights. And we were, I mean, they just sold immediately. Like, people we'd never seen before showed up. And then it just became this constant stream of people asking about Magic the Gathering. Uh, and one thing led to another, basically. That's fascinating. So, technically, your first box was the half box of Arabian Nights. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and people, you know, like in town here, Omni Hobby and Games was open at the time. And they had beta packs. I think even like Comic Junction and Lantern Comics had like a box of beta starter decks and boosters because, you know, I mean, you would tend to just try, uh, you know, whatever came along really. Right. And, and so that, that was about it in Fargo Moorhead. So just for, for a little perspective, and I just want to confirm on this, you know, you started with Arabian Nights. Of course you probably bought in over the years. You've probably had every set in your store. So that's, you know, that's not a milestone I want to, uh, you know, point out, but back then, you know, the, the beta, was not really the uh, hottest set. The hottest set was Arabian Nights because it had a different theme. They didn't actually have a story theme when uh, Magic originally came out. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Well, yeah, I mean, that the Alpha, Beta, and Limited stuff are just cards. I mean, really, you know, because I'm an old school player, uh, I'm kind of weird. Like, I don't get into the story at all. Like, I used to, when I played heavily, I used to say I couldn't care less if there was art on the card. What I care about is, like, what the card ca- cost to cast and what it does, you know, I, I just straight up like to play and all this other stuff just has never interested me that much. Although clearly it's become a huge part of the game and, and it's just not my thing. So, well, now they're making Netflix off the story. So hopefully, no, that, that's hopefully awesome. I'm really excited about that. We used to, t- I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh! When Yu-Gi-Oh! was huge, it was so on the back of the animated series, right? And and so we used to say, can you imagine if Magic was in that position? So, I mean, I'm excited about stuff like that. So Well, it certainly gives us perspective of, uh, of how long uh, you've been in the game. So that's when you started <laughs> having the uh, cards. And what, what year did you open with your comic books? 1993. We opened oh, so over the summer. Magic premiered. Yeah, Magic premiered at Gen Con and by... Sometime over the winter of 93, 94, I couldn't tell you exactly when Arabian Nights released, you know, so. Well, that gives a perspective um, of why you're, like, so infinitely proud of matching the date, because you literally did match Magic's uh, Magic's year. So it's 26 whole years matching Wizards. Yep. That's fantastic. Yeah, we were, (laughs) we started, a guy donated his own kitchen table to the store to get us to host a place to play magic the gathering. <laughs> so, and over the years we've always come up with this event we call kitchen table showdown. And that's where that comes from. So do you have that same kitchen table? Please say yes. No, it's gone. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's all right. We'll have to, I'll have to get that guy's name uh, and see if we can put like a plaque on the wall. <laughs> you started this. Yeah. Yeah. Well the, well, the plaque on the wall used to be, that was another thing in our first year or two, we used to have what we called the wall of Atogs. And some people listening will, if they're local, will remember this. But we had this, uh, uh, there was sort of a, like a window well boarded up or whatever between us and another space. And somebody started uh, literally just stapling atogs to that wall. And it became a joke because at the time, remember, there's like, you know, what, six or seven hundred cards. And so atog was a, a terrible card. Uh, in a, in a world where there's like you know fifty artifacts or something, <laughs> I think <laughs> Most it was of which you, 
most of which you don't have any interest in sacrificing. But uh, um, and so we just had like this massive stack of atogs stapled to our wall. So I think it was Magic's official first meme. It was Fibble Flip before Fibble Flip. Like atogs <laughs> were that card. Oh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, atogs were something that you used to uh, write your proxies on, kind of like wasteland <laughs> during Tempest. Absolutely. Yeah, we 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 still have people sad that that wall came down. That's all right. You have pictures. That's all that matters. So <laughs> right now, again, just to reiterate, Paradox is still North Dakota's largest uh, place to, to handle magic at all. If you're uh, in anywhere in the Fargo, North Dakota area, you know Paradox if you're, you're a magic, uh, magic goer. They, you guys even have a big event center in the back dedicated just to play space. It's pretty big. Yeah, and just remodeled, too, with... Uh... We painted all the sections of it in magic colors, and then we commissioned these laser-cut uh, wood mana symbols uh, that are on every wall. And, and then there's a wireless speaker system and TVs for pairings and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the Gardner building that I've been in for 26 years, you do the best you can with the space that's available. <laughs> and you guys have definitely done a great uh, great job with it. So I think I'd like to point out a couple different things about your store. I, I try to go in. I live about an hour, 10, hour, 15 minutes from Fargo. So every time I go to Fargo for, you know, that big Costco run or whatever d- duties we have to do going to Fargo, <laughs> that's the place to go. So you stop by, and I think your store is unique from a lot of different stores. And maybe it's just because you guys have been open since the beginning. You can walk in, and you don't have a lot of uh, magic cases. You have a lot of uh, space. You have a lot of product. But... The idea is you make it simple for your customer. You walk in, the customer names the card, and you have staff, the experts, go back, find the copy and the version, and you guys have still the singles going back all the way back to as as far back as you can normally keep stock. So if you're coming in and you want Wizard School and old weird tap land because you're a terrible EDH <laughs> player, you can get those copies. If you want copies of Urza Land, you can go in there and they'll pull out a fat <laughs> stack of different Urza Land for you to uh, buy up. It's... Yeah, no, that's kind of that's kind of true. We talk about that a lot. Like one of our advantages, definitely, we've probably to the day got eighty-five percent of every card ever printed. In at any given time, it might be a different fifteen percent that we're out of, right? <laughs> um, but. And, and I've got something, I mean, there's like 1.2 million magic cards uh, still sort of just sitting in a warehouse. Basically, you know, it's mostly un, unsorted, common, uncommon stuff. Um, oh, you got to hire me uh, part-time. What's that? You got to hire me part-time. We got to go through those cards, yeah. <laughs> find some Arabian Nights. That's just it, is the way value has changed. Uh, there, there's definitely a lot back there, but... It's uh, and it sounds dumb that it's sitting there, but it's all priorities, right? Like you got to open the door and service customers and stay in the now. And so it's difficult to go back to a project like that. So I just think it mirrors you guys really just focus on the customer first. It mirrors what they do online. If you're looking for a card, you go to that TCG player, you click and you buy what you're looking for. You guys have done that, you know, long before it was easy enough to get cards done you just walk in i'm looking for four copies of these and two of these they go back and hand it to you pretty pretty quick they just know where it's at you guys have everything categorized and it's just a a real focus on the customer yeah the big thing that's that's changed and and i think you know it's an incredible time to be in magic the gathering and you said i've been in every that's true like i've been around in the era where you know you waited for scry magazine to come out every month so you knew what the prices of the cards were you know, um, and Troll and Toad and Scry and people like that would set them. 
And and now, uh, and, and players did not have the power that they have today. You know, you're basically all dealers on your own because of TCG player, because of the instant knowledge that you've got on pricing. You know, it, it's a really fascinating time to be in the game. So I think that's a great segue into something I want to bring up. So right now we're seeing, of course, everybody's transitioning. Everybody's uh, shell-shocked by online. But Wizards mm -hmm. is still focused on making sure that we have these WPN listings uh, for a network, making sure that we have premier product coming to the stores, having exclusive events and, and uh, prizes coming to the stores, really focusing on the epicenter of magic. And, you know, it's real difficult for some stores in, in a lot of, especially international areas. Now they're seeing a lot of the tariffs happen. But even our local communities, you know, um, stores have to be as agile as they can when price gouging has been huge. Online sales have taken over. And they're going... Uh, was the Dunder Mifflin quote paperless in a paper or a paperless <laughs> in a paper filled world or something like that. So how does, how has it been for a change in your store going through the years? Is it uh, better than it ever been? What do you, what's, what's the secret that keeps, uh, keeps not paradox afloat, but not only thriving. Well, uh, there's a lot of questions in there, but you know, you're effectively talking about how the, how things have changed and, uh, and how we've responded to those changes. And, you know, sometimes we responded too slowly, sometimes we responded right, sometimes we responded wrong, but, uh, but we're there. But, you know, about five years ago, uh, Watsi sort of blew the whole thing up for the first time with the Wizards Play Network, maybe six or seven years ago. I don't know the exact time, right? And so they, they took what a lot of stores uh, like us had done and they turned it into a program uh, so that they could they could create stores by giving them the instructions of how to run Friday Night Magic, of how to get a pre-release, of how you know of how to do all those things, right? And so they created stores like Mad. That's where all these thousands of new small magic shops opened from, and it was awesome. It was it was great. Um, and then they they also changed you know along with it they changed the pro tour qualification system to create those preliminary pro tour qualifiers so that again every store uh, had an event uh, to to be relevant and and get players in their store right so but now here we are five years later and we've gone the opposite direction uh, sort of I, I not entirely but we're instead focusing on with the WPN premium program, right? We're acknowledging that, Hey, there are stores that do things a little differently than other stores or have been around for a long time or things like that. So we're going to give them some attention while then more accurately distributing resources to all the other ones. So, I mean, I guess one, one answer is that it's just been, <laughs> it's been a lot of changes, uh, one after another for about five or six years. So sometimes it's hard to have a long-term business model. I mean, we opened an event center in 2011 because we were hosting pro tour qualifiers and we were hosting them and you know, we were paying to have them uh, off site and all the things that are entailed in that cost. And so we thought, Oh, long-term, we're going to keep having these. So let's build this event center. And then four years later, they don't have pro tour qualifiers anymore, so on and so forth. So it's just, you know, it's just change, change, change. So I don't know if that's a great answer, but there that, you go. That is. So the, again, they started the WPA, uh, the PN. Um, now they're calling it WPN. Wizards Play Network is how it started, and yep. that was the answer of Wizards trying to making sure it's more inclusive and remembering that the community starts with their local store. 
So now that with the new changes you, you mentioned with the uh, premium status, what exactly does that bring you uh, to your store specifically of a, say, you know, smaller, uh, smaller store? You uh, have, you said you still have a qualifier? Right. The, the biggest things that, uh, the, the biggest concrete thing so far is in the new uh, Players Tour world, uh, we get a guaranteed Wizards Play Network qualifier uh, without having to do any application process uh, to get one. So so that's cool. That that makes life a little easier to not have to, to go through the hoops to get it, you know. Um, but, like, you know, when we talked about the event center and repainting it and all that, we were we were definitely pushed to be a better store. We were we were forced to look ourselves in the mirror, and I think every store, some, some stores have complained about the premium process. And they took a quote of mine and used it, and I said, it doesn't matter whether you get premium. The fact that you try to get premium is going to make you a better store. And I told our reps when we were working on it, like, I don't even care. You've forced me to think about uh, who my staff is, how my cards are displayed, how my, what my store looks like, how it's, uh, you know, how it's decorated, like so on and so forth. Right. Like every one of those things was a net positive for any player or customer who walks in the door. That's fantastic. It, I, I feel like that, uh, that really sets a standard for, um, the integrity of how Wizards wants to campaign their product as well. There's a lot to be said there, but no, that's uh, that's exciting. So if you live in the Fargo, you know, North Dakota or anywhere in the North Dakota region, that's probably the place to go to get uh, get your magic career going. Um, so there, there's the... there are a ton of great shops. There's a lot of guys uh, all over the place who are doing awesome jobs with shops. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that's different. I I had a a really in, nice advantage for a while uh when i when i opened up we were the first people in, in the area to put tables and chairs in and pay for that space you know and i went boy i mean it's close to like 20 years <laughs> you know without without anyone else who did that and now there's a lot of places like that and i'm and i'm friends with all those people and it's fantastic like the the because it's a better player experience right so so that makes begs the question: What pro players have started off at Paradox? Yeah, well, the the most famous one uh, by far and away is uh, Brad Nelson, who most of you will know. Um, and he, you know, I I met Brad the first time I met Brad. I played him in the finals of a tournament at Collectors Universe in Bismarck, and I'd heard about this kid, uh, but I've heard about a ton of kids who all think they're hot shots, so I didn't really care. And we had a, uh, a uh, it was, I was playing Affinity, and he was playing Goblins. And he was uh, convinced going into the match that Goblins, that he had the matchup on Affinity, and I thought he was nuts, and he beat me 2-1. So, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, he started coming to Paradox and hanging out, and we became friends with Brad, uh, several of my employees, and he were very good friends when he was in this area. But I remember the first time that I knew Brad was different, that I knew that there was something going on with that guy. He was getting ready for, at the time, regionals, which of course doesn't exist anymore, but regionals was in Minneapolis and he'd been prepping all week and he was playing a deck I'd never seen before and thought he was nuts. Cause I was stuck in the, I was stuck in the, you got to play last week's deck. You got to, you, you've got to look at all the results. You got to play the deck that was good last week. Maybe do a little bit of sideboarding, but that's how you that's how you move. Forward. And Brad's mind was, no, you, you build a deck 
that wasn't good last week. <laughs> you know, you, you, you look ahead and you anticipate and you know what was good last week and now you build a deck to beat all that, right? So and he was it, metagaming. It sort of blew my mind, so... Yeah, so yeah, he was he was metagaming before uh, before people do that when they're just using magazines like Troll and Toad to see what's up. Well, it just it just meant that he had a different mind for the game. I know other people who thought like that as well, but I'd never known anybody who could successfully execute it. You know, because he went down in top four regionals and qualified for nationals with a deck that I thought was terrible, right? And uh, and so it was just it was just awesome to watch. So. I know you've had others. I, I think uh, I'm trying to remember who's uh, who's relevant right now. I think Corey Brewmeister. He's still uh, still playing. Corey Brewmeister, but Corey, that's Brad's younger brother. There you go. <laughs> yep. So. so whatever was in their water, clearly that's the fountain of magic. Correct. No. Well, that's fantastic. So Paradox has been around a while. You've definitely had your experience with pro players. Definitely a lot of experience. But we want to know a little about you. I know that. Uh, you told me personally that you've been uh, starting a starting a blog. You've been doing a lot of improvements to the stores. Yes. You're you're a very active, busy man. Yeah, well, I like to introduce myself. Uh, I, I do this at comic conventions a lot, but I like to go around and introduce myself as America's only blind comic shop owner. Um, so I guess I can do the same thing. My America's only blind card shop owner. But uh, you know, I was born uh, completely blind in my left eye. And I, I dropped out of college when I was 23 to open a comic book store. So you can go figure that out. <laughs> uh, you know, and subsequently played Magic for like 20-some years. Well, I, I mean, I haven't played a lot the last two years, but I still obviously consider myself a Magic player. Absolutely. So, so I met you, I'm trying to remember the first time I, the first time I played Magic, the first tournament was actually at your store. It was the uh, Eldridge Moon pre-release, and you know I've definitely kept coming uh, on a recurring basis since then. And you know you just wouldn't know it. You uh, you're so outgoing to the customers and the community, and you you still have uh, vision in the other uh, some vision on the other eye, but you're always you know face forward, extremely communicative, and very able uh, able bodied going around. You're always busy. You're sorting cards. You're going through lists. You're helping customers, and it's just uh, really a testament to you know, don't let anything uh, stop you. Keep uh, keep going forward. And I I was real motivated. I actually dove into your uh, to blog uh, a couple weeks ago, and it just uh, really motivated me that persistence is uh, is the key. And I think you've uh, definitely proven that over twenty six year ma uh, magic and comic book career. Well, I think you know one thing I did not understand over the years is you know we we I mean I always like to say that we were, we're grinding four dollar comic books and four dollar booster packs. <laughs> it's sort of the really depressed way to think about what we do, right? But what we've actually done and what most shops like mine do, uh, we build a community, but what we do is we impact people's lives. And, and we do it by giving them uh, a place to meet each other, a place to uh, uh, follow their hobbies, love their hobbies, things like that. But, you know, the main thing is you're giving them a place where it's okay to be themselves. Uh, a motto I throw around sometimes like it's okay to be you right and the idea is uh, you know i don't care that your family doesn't understand magic or that where you're at work doesn't you know doesn't care about your comic collection or whatever right like when you come here it's always okay to be you but then i i didn't always recognize that underlying idea that these shops are here to have an impact on people's lives and i hit it about a year and a half ago it really clicked in for me and ever since then i've just been working towards getting that idea to be the forefront of 
what's behind all my decision making, right? Like the, the events that I plan, the way I design the store, the way I train my employees. I'm, I'm in I'm in business to help you be whatever you want to be or do whatever you want to do, right? And and especially you know, it starts with training employees that way, right? I I don't want my employees to to get less out of the business than I get out of them. I want it to be exactly the opposite. Um, and the same, we're trying to bring that same idea to all of our customer interactions as well, so that it's way more than just that physical transaction. Uh, so there you go. Well, perfect. That certainly gives us a perspective. I know I've been in your store. I'm not. I, I definitely can't name names. I, that's uh, that's their their choice. But I've definitely seen some of your your new employees, and you know some of them in the past they don't necessarily start with knowledge of magic. They may come from a comic card, uh, a comic or other card. Um, spectrum and it really even when I ask them questions hey could you give me this card they didn't know the answer they're always customer centric first and I think that's uh, always been your hiring choices it's not necessarily we'll get the knowledge we'll get the training we have that here but uh, customer focused yeah for me that's becoming you know I'm learning <laughs> 49 years old I've run that business for 26 years when I started I thought my partner and I would just work all the hours like <laughs> that's how dumb I was about business at the beginning right and so like it took me a long time to get any 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 kind of knowledge or, or idea about being a boss and being a leader and at first I was even resistant to that now it's just I'm all in like I just I love it I, I love coaching I love training I love hiring hiring process is one of my favorite things now because firing sucks so you got to hire well <laughs> there you go um you should uh do the the magic card uh magic card book customer first firing sucks <laughs> here's how to start a store <laughs> yeah well the point of the blog and 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 so on and so forth is starting a public speaking career a public writing career that's focused on uh mental health on uh, disability, on running a small business, and taking it all with the perspective of having been a, a, in the nerd business at the time when the nerd business is like the biggest thing in the world. So the only other questions I think I have are, I have some sort, you know, questions for do's and don'ts for store. I think you've elaborated on a lot of those, but you know, what other what other hobbies uh, do you get into? You, you said that again, comic books was the passion. Magic definitely tagged along immediately with that. What uh, what else are are you into? Oh, like personally? Personally, we <laughs> want to know about you, not just the store. Oh, not around the shop. So, oh, I'm, oh, I'm no. a huge I'm a huge football fan. So I do a lot of uh, a lot of fantasy football is where I like to redirect my energy. It's it's funny, you know, you, when you were talking about Magic Fest and stuff like that earlier. Like, I'm not a convention goer. I'm not a uh, Magic weekend goer. Uh, you know, that's my that's my life uh, Monday through Friday. So when I'm done on Friday, I like. I, way <laughs> so i think in our last after dark podcast we had like some tangent arguing about the dallas cowboys so uh some, we had a lot yeah this group definitely feels you on that one we're all we're all from we, the same area where that your, purple pride what's, what's, we've, we've actually got it we've actually got a really cool idea for a podcast myself and uh, lance meister is the undead viking who's a big board game reviewer we're both vikings fans but he's the negative uh uh, guy and I'm the positive guy. So what we want to do is a, a podcast about the Vikings and board gaming, and I I really believe in this, but we just can't make the time to make it happen. So, <laughs> well, if you ever want some help, that sounds like a fantastic podcast. Uh, I'll uh, right, like what a great Venn diagram. Like I actually think it would do extremely. Well. So, yeah, how to how to pick your fantasy team and then how to pick your esports fantasy team. There you go. <laughs> 
So diving back into the the magic question, I think that uh, some of our our viewers have dreamt about starting their own store and certainly, you know, maybe even sell cards online. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd like to go over maybe some recommendations, what you think uh, is the the best. I I know your customer focus, but maybe some of the other tricks of the trade and, you know, do's and don'ts. So I, one I'll pick on just to give an example is I go to some uh, magic stores and I, I try to, you know, go all across the state of Minnesota if I'm traveling you know, go for a trip to Vegas, I'm going to stop at the Vegas stores. It's just part of my culture is I'm going to stop to the local magic store. And, you know, I always think that uh, it's not a pet peeve for me as a customer, but the store owner that puts cards in a case, puts a price on them, and the price either drops or spikes. So what I see, you know, established long-term stores do is they'll put the card out and they will match the you know TCG mid range or whatever a store site that they're choosing to make sure that it stays market value. They'll have sales on top of it, but at least that keeps the pricing fair for the cus- uh, customer and fair for the store. So, what are some do's and don'ts? Is that a do and don't that you would uh, recommend? Oh yeah, well there's a there's a really deep web right there, right? Like earlier when you were talking about TCG player, TCG is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I I sell. Uh, I buy and sell on TCG player as well. Um, but what you, what you, so, okay. So we had this recently, like two, two interesting issues, right? So we, we've moved to like a prize wall uh, for our uh, prizes. So what you do, you know, when you, when you play F and M, we don't give you packs instead we give you prize wall points and you can go spend those points. So like the base you're going to get is a card that says, you know, 10 prize wall points and that equals one booster pack, standard booster pack, right? Makes sense. And then you just scale everything from there. When we started it, what we did was we also put singles on it and we priced those singles to a certain amount of points. Um, A lot of times it's very obvious that, you know, if a card is like 1850, we would put it so it was worth 20 prize wall or, you know, $20 worth of prize wall. So things like that. It was never exact um, and oftentimes a little bit of a markup for us in those. But what happened was we realized that when you set that card price, the fluctuation you're talking about comes into play where some of those cards spike up and some of those cards spike down. So on our end, some of my employees came to me and they were complaining because we have lost cards off the wall that are now underpriced because we locked them in at a prize wall points. And on the other hand, I've had uh, customers come to my judges and tell me they don't like the prize wall because there are overpriced cards on it. And so it's not worth them getting their points. So isn't that fascinating? <laughs> yeah. Who knew that, you know, your prize wall would have to match yeah. the market. Yeah, what right? No, but it, I mean it makes sense. We have a we have a revamp coming that just addresses that. We're going to basically we're going to take singles off the wall. The wall will be all product. It will all be sort of priced similarly, but then you can just simply redeem uh points for $3 store credit per 10 points. So, uh what we're going to do, we're still going to showcase cards on the wall, but it's basically we're going to be we're going to take our hottest, biggest, most expensive foils and cards and just make a showcase row or two out of those. So, it isn't specifically that they are prizes only, they're also for sale, but it'll be like a highlight, right? So, um and we're just going to let them be priced to market instead. So, anyway, your point is absolutely valid. So, like along with it, the other side I was going to point out was in, if you guys listen, you probably listen to a lot of Rudy. One of the things he talks about has happened to him numerous times. I will pre-order a sealed product and then the market will go one way or the other. <laughs> so, you know, you've often got, you know, it's the modern horizons and so on and so forth. Perfect example is modern horizons. We did one ninety nine ninety nine, and boxes now are still in the like high one seventies. Right. So like, then you've got people who are saying, well, you overcharge $20. 
um, you know, so on and so forth. So like, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a big minefield out there to navigate. Uh, and you have to be very, very conscious of all the things that are going to happen when you do set a price on something for sure. So I think a, a fair assessment for that, for customers that are, that are listening to their magic stories, you know, they're, they're human too. They, they only get the same information as us maybe a couple weeks in advance, but they they don't know how the market's going to transition. So if you're buying it and want to be a patron of a local store, it's only fair that there's no longer MSRP, but they're going to try to stay by a stable price to work with you because, again, they're there to serve you. So I got the same price. I bought a box of uh, Modern Horizons at that one ninety nine price. Sure enough, it went down. I did not feel cheated. That was the going rate for me buying day one. If I buy, you know, a couple weeks after the fact and the price didn't adjust, you know, then I'll, I'll ask a little more uh, question, you know, maybe the, you got stuck with the product, you know, what, whatever else. But if you're working with your magic store, you pre-order or pick up the weekend over a week of, it's only understandable. They're going to be a set rate and be a patron of that store. But it's good to know that well, you, uh, you, you guys are human too. It's well, right. Like, you know, it's kind of funny. We actually, you're absolutely correct. We have no secret information. I honestly, most of the time you guys know stuff before we do. In fact, like most announcements are made to the public simultaneously to us and, or are made to the public without a behind the scenes channel being made to us. So I've had things before where people will call me up and ask me about a product or an event that I haven't even heard of when they call and ask me about it. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the pricing variation, yeah, no, like I'm totally, I'm almost a hundred percent on the customer side. You know, you should, we, we're going to do our best to beat a market. We're also going to mark up. Like if a product is over market, we're also going to charge that. So if we're going to do that, then we're going to try to be uh, with the market when it's below, but you're absolutely right. Like at some point I have to put a price sticker on it. Right. And, and sometimes that price sticker is going to fluctuate uh, even when it's on the wall. It's one thing on singles. That's really easy to do. It's definitely a little more difficult on that product. You know, I'm not going to monitor the fluctuation on eBay of every booster pack in my store on an hourly basis. <laughs> so well, that's certainly good to know. And just to revamp uh, on that uh, point system, I've seen actually a couple of places. Um, I think uh, one in like St. Cloud, I think it's Sneak Attack Games. They were doing there's a each community has a different market. So the market was is when people buy cards in St. Cloud, the majority of them want to purchase a normal card. Foils don't sell, but people want foils. It just costs more. So he's collected over the years a lot of different foils, and he had all you know promo foils, any just pack foils. That would be his section where he'd purchase, or they'd have points to spend from their uh, tournaments on getting those cards. And that's uh, I think that trend is growing. I I just saw uh, you know for the real first time there i think once uh in um texas when i stopped by but yeah this is uh definitely a thing to, to go off of and yeah it's, who would know it's that a, it's the a, points have it's to match very, the market it's, it's a variation of a loyalty program effectively right like instead of just giving you a pack i give you points and then i put stuff on the wall that are worth more points than you got so theoretically you'll come back and play my fnm instead of somebody else's or things like that and I think there's one point to go with that that people don't really understand. And again, maybe it's just my opinion that's a, a do or don't. But when you have that point system, if a store gives credit towards cards and you have nothing displayed, that people aren't going to value it. You need to have stuff in the case to showcase as a prize. So I think that that was a pretty genius mark on your part, even though the points may have uh, marking the points may have failed. They still saw a wall and knew that that those cards could be grabbed. And that really, uh, you know, brings value to those points or value to that credit. 
Well, there you go. There's my number one piece of advice, right? So you're either doing it or you're not doing it. So I could have waited. I, I could have recognized that problem, let it paralyze me and done nothing, right? Instead, I put the wall out there. I learned from players and from employees what was working on the wall, what wasn't working on the wall. I tore the wall down. It's about to come back up in a, in a big, bold, bright new way and to to hopefully have altered those things that we were getting feedback on. So if you want the truest you know, piece of advice, like I'm launching a YouTube channel, right? And I, and I've never launched a YouTube channel because I've always thought, well, I can't be number one. I'm not going to be very good at it. Nobody wants to listen to me, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's all crap. <laughs> you know, just at some point, just do something and learn from it. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk would say failure is the absolute greatest thing that ever happens. So, which is basically true, right? You can't learn from success, but you do learn from failure. So jump in head first, trial and error. You have to have data to make a decision. You've you've launched a podcast. Will it be here six months from now? Who cares? I mean, seriously, what what does it matter, right? Like if it isn't here now, it'll never be here in six months. And if it isn't here now, you can't ever learn what it should be like in six months. So uh, you're ahead of 99% of everybody. So I, I love it. Excellently put. Gives me motivation in my podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> so the one piece I want to get before I let you go is uh, really focusing on the do's and don'ts again. Uh, we've had a bunch of people, and they've actually messaged me to have a topic on this of kind of like a rant almost of things that frustrate them in the store. And I think the biggest uh, topic is people that sell online. Every store has to rotate cards. You're there to make money. And if cards don't sell, the obvious choice is certainly list them to people who will. So I don't know a game store that doesn't list some cards online. It's uh, the game stores that have translated this into having no stock on hand. I've seen this time after time for either new stores or old stores that are just really not feeling it anymore or not giving it the time, uh, time of day just because they want to liquidate those cards out. And me as a magic uh, as a you say mid-grade magic player, Wiley here, he's been playing since 94, 95 95. And Trent, he, I got him into it uh, kind of uh, mid-quill. You, what, two years now you've been in Magic? Yeah, I started on cat. I think it's fair that these demographics all do the same thing. When they're in an area, they go to places where they know they have great cards. So if we go to Paradox, we're definitely checking out the case, regardless if we have a list, and we're going to go check it out. If we're going to Alexandria, Minnesota, we're going to go to a place that, that they have cards in the case, and we know we can come to see some sweet things, maybe maybe get a steal. Who knows? They have a sale of the day. But regardless, we're going to be a patron of the stores to go see the product that brings us there, not just the customer service. So what we've seen uh, different stores do is, again, sell off their cards, only have you know bulk rares in the shop, and everything gets instantly liquidated. So it doesn't bring the traffic in. It devalues their store credit, so they're not going to trade cards there. And I've always seen this, as, at least in my mind, as a consumer, as the biggest failure of either a new store or a store that's transitioning. Uh, how do you feel on that? Uh, well, you're, you're talking about quite a balancing act, first of all. But, yeah, if you're going to have a physical location, then you better have cards out on display. I mean, I sell online, absolutely. And I, I take collections in. Uh, I decide often decide which parts of the collection go where um you know are these cards going to go in the case are they going to go online so on and so forth i mean i'm in a weird position i have so much stock that it would take me forever to sell it one way or another right now 
<laughs> uh, right now. But, you know, of course you want the store to be an attraction for people uh, if that's your bottom line point. Yep. It's a decent perspective, especially for the store that's been there 26 years. You got cards off to come. Well, uh, sort. But, you know, there's 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 an easy hmm, there's an easy temptation. And then there's a long term thinking. And just depending on what, you know, you pointed out that we're kind of like you guys. So like you as a let's say let's say you bought a magic collection from a friend of yours. Uh, and, and, uh, well, you know, what, what would your goal be with it? Like, depending on how much money you invested in it, right. Just take it down to yourself. Right. Um, and, and, you know, what are you going to try to sell it to your friends? Are you going to flip it online? Are you just going to put it in your own stock? You know, right. Like it's actually not that different of a decision in many ways. I guess that does give perspective. I know me, I uh, do a little investing. I do just collecting for art. There's a lot of different motivations for a consumer, but, um, you know, just in the three in the room, I know Trent's bought collections from friends and he loves to have the diversity. Wiley, he definitely collects a lot of old cards. Maybe he'll have something that, uh, you know, one that says angels. And I tend to sit on stuff for, well, often too long, but definitely I have been learning a mindset when a card reaches a certain price. That's it's time to it's go. It's time to go. And me, I, I do a different type of collection. I actually uh, um, host bulk for new players in our, our area. So I definitely need cards on hand to make a, a centerpiece attraction. So it just gives a, it gives the mindset of what a store has to go through, much less what actually, we do as a trade. Actually, I have a couple examples for you. So uh, let's, say, let's say a set releases, right? And let's say there's, a, a, there's always that card that's $25 that we pretty much all know isn't going to stay at $25. Okay, it's 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 the hype card, the anticipated card, and again, we don't always know this, but you know the kinds of cards that I'm talking about. Aurelia's um, fury. And so, but for us to so when it's at twenty five bucks, for us to be uh to be in a fair place to acquire that card, we're going to be giving you anywhere from fifty percent in cash to seventy percent in trade. Let's say right. So let's say we acquire twenty copies of this twenty-five dollar card, and we put an average of like seventeen fifty into it, right? Well, if we don't sell that card, and it goes down to ten dollars or less, because this happens a lot, right? We just lost a lot of money in that process, right? And uh, and so that's where the temptation to, I mean, you want to get you want to get it flipped, preferably in store to a customer at the right price. But if you had to flip that card online before you took that loss, I, I can understand that completely. Now, on the flip side, the other thing that happens is we open booster packs that cost us, you know, X amount. I mean, less than they cost you, but, you know, they cost us in the two to two and a half dollars a pack range. And we pull out rares that are 99 cents or less. We sell those even though even though there'll be one, two, three of those rares, we're like, wait a second, like I know this is gonna be a three to eight dollar card a month from now, once the market sort of settles out out the gate. But in the meantime, they're getting sold for that, you know, sub ninety-nine cent price or whatever. Right. So those are the things that are really hard to manage as a store. You know, my philosophy in general would be like you gotta you always have to sell at market. So it's not an extremely relevant point. It's just that these are the things that, that can cause a store to make or lose a lot of money depending on how they handle those two ends of the spectrum. Definitely gives perspective on uh on trying to make ends meet for a store. So Yeah, there... and it's not the and here's the thing, it's not the player's problem. 
right? Like that's not my point at all. You just asked me what are problems from a store's perspective. So I don't, I don't no, want to see the... somebody posting, right? I just don't want to see somebody posting that, oh, he's whining about the economics. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, I'm answering your question, which was what are the do's and don'ts and what are the problems? And that so. gives us the perspective. <laughs> I mean, I, I really wanted this, uh, this interview to be, you know, one to learn more about you and your store, but also give this from a store owner's perspective, because what most of us don't get that. We just get to see that, you know, you're the guy behind the counter and you're, you're, you have possession of the things we love most. So getting that <laughs> perspective and putting us in your shoes, you know, gives clarity to the customer as well. But, and I, but I, but I love you. Like all, I mean, I want you to always get the best experience you can. And I, I don't know that that's price wise. I don't know that that's possible on every transaction, right? Like it's, it's just probably not. Somebody's going to be unhappy no matter what you do in that, in that process. And sometimes it's my employees are unhappy. Sometimes it's the customers are unhappy and it's more, you know, it's certainly more important that we get it right on the customer side. We're just not going to all the time. And that, you know, another thing I would say, we're in an area era where negative reviews come flying from anywhere. So like you can be right 99 times and the 100th time you don't treat somebody well. And that review is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. And that, and the thing is that person's right. Usually they're right. And they didn't get a good experience. And it, you know, it's also funny where, People will look at stores and they will have a lot of opinions on stores. And I do this too. I look at, say, Wizards of the Coast and say, why do they do things this way? Do you know how many things that Wizards of the Coast has to do? And the one thing that I've picked out that I don't like about what they do, and it's obvious to me that it was a bad decision, they probably didn't have time to recognize it was a bad decision. They may know it, but they don't have time to fix it. And so that's something that happens to us a lot too. It's just, there's just, I mean, I, I'm going to screw things up and, and people are going to rightfully look at it and say, why did they do things that way? <laughs> you know, uh, there you go. Well, if we've learned anything today, being customer centric has definitely uh, made you a success and keeping your store a success. So that's always been the key. And I, I'm pretty darn sure if I were to bet money will always be the key in your business. Well, communication too. Like I, I used to be, I used to be more um, at the tables playing cards than I am right now. And I used to, players just used to come to me directly. Uh, but you know, it, it, it isn't always that way. I just like, I'm an open book. I, I, I wish, and I, and, and I would encourage all communities just talk directly, you know, don't give people a, you know, it's usually if I give a customer a chance, uh, to build a relationship, it works out. And so I hope they do the same things with us too. So, well, Rich, is there anything that you think, uh, we, we miss in this topic or anything you wanted to, to bring up before we, uh, disconnect with our listeners? I could talk about owning a store and, uh, being a magic player for like seven days straight. So, I mean, I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> I, I think we got at least the main points on my list, but Sounds I... Sounds like I, an opportunity for another interview. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, just for the listeners, uh, certainly uh, you can comment on Facebook, but uh, on, on what uh, you think we should bring up, you know, ask an owner. And I also want to do another segment of ask a judge. I'm going to, I have planning in the works of getting uh, different different judges, um, some from uh, local uh, stores, others from, you know, Grand Prix or now Magic Fests. So if you have, you know, ask a store owner or ask a judge, please send our questions to our Facebook page, This Week in MTG on Facebook. So, again, uh, appreciate your time. And next one, uh, we'll do an interview. I'd like to do a, a podcast, if you're willing, at Paradox sometime, live in person. And I'd like to move around the podcast a, a bit and definitely have that one of the starting locations. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, we we would love to have you. Perfect. We'll get a get a, a whole uh, this week in MTG party going and see what we uh, we can't do. Maybe we can do a in store um, after dark. Who knows? 
Well, again, we appreciate your time. And before we go, you got anything to say, Trent? Uh, yeah. Just uh, follow me on Twitch on twitch.tv slash thebaconman218 or on my social medias. I got all three, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at thebaconman218. And how about you, Wiley? I'm simple to please. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And you, Rich? Yeah, those guys are great. If you want to follow uh, me, uh, you generally can find Paradox as Paradox CNC. Uh, my biggest recommendation is our website, www.paradoxcnc.com. We now have a full uh, event calendar system where we do pre-registration for all of our big events. We've got a e-commerce site that is a total baby right now, so you'll find very few things on it, but you'll always find the new Magic product pre-orders when we do them uh, on Instagram and Twitter for Paradox CNC and on Facebook for Paradox Comics and Cards. Perfect. And... Uh, do you have a uh, place where people can uh, sign up for your blog? Oh, yeah. My personal blog is always early, and it's uh, – boy, that was terrible. Is it, uh, It's just a blog spot. So if you, if you search for uh, Richard Early, always early, uh, you know, whatever dot blogspot dot always early, however that works out. <laughs> so I will make this easier. I'm going to put your link to your blog with your permission on our Facebook page oh, yeah. this week in no, MTG. My, my number one goal right now is to get a hundred subscribers to that thing uh, and then reevaluate. So it's and just, then he'll it's get literally I'm at, the, I'm at the completely free WordPress level right now uh, just to try to get myself to write a blog every two weeks to get people to register and to get feedback about them. And uh, I'm excited to go from there. So I haven't, I haven't even really written about owning a shop yet and all those problems. Um, I really just want to get in a rhythm and uh, and tackle, you know, and probably and probably tackle things from a timely perspective too, right? Like get 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 my perspective as the issues come up and stuff. I just haven't really gotten in a rhythm yet. So I know if you're a content creator, I'm uh, I've been jumping into this again. This is only a few episodes in. We're really ramping up with this podcast and it's working real well. We're getting uh, getting sponsors. We're getting attraction. But uh, if you want some motivation and, you know, some tips, definitely go to his website. It's very motivational for content creators. He's, uh, uh, I know Rich firmly believes that uh, Just Do It. He's explained that in the, uh, the podcast today. So uh, check it yeah, out. Yeah, but if we'll you want to know why, go find, you know, that's, yeah, exactly. So. Well, we'll find it on the Facebook page. And, again, thanks again. Last reminder, magickids.org. Donate your cards. Donate your money. Become a volunteer. Thanks again, and let's cue that outro. Thanks for listening to our podcast. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding me? I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know. Seriously, follow guys. and subscribe, or is it just follow? I, you know what? Subscribe, follow, like, share. It's it's. Oh my! It's on Spotify. It's already on Stitcher. We have the RSS feed on the website. This week in MGD.com. That's us. Please share with your friends. Share it up. Outro done. <laughs>